This is the Off the Break Podcast, your podcast dedicated to current movie theater news, operations, and insights from the people that book the movies. Now, here are your hosts, Cody, Kyle, and Ken. All right, everybody, welcome back to Off the Break Podcast. We're here post Guardians of the Galaxy opening, yeah. blowing the doors off, leaving everything in the dust. Yeah, yeah. Numero uno, Mario is. As, as we anticipated. Easily number one, Mario finally took the the tumble we were expecting four weeks ago. Quote, unquote. <laughs> tumble. But, yeah. To, to number two. To stay at number two. <laughs> and it still made a billion dollars everywhere. Yeah. No, just just awesome, awesome news all the way around. I mean, we expect a drop this week. We have an off, off two weeks, really, without like a... Or I guess off week, and then we have Fast X. Yeah, just just this weekend will be the quiet one, which book, book club. It's a, yeah, <laughs> which is a bit of a relief. I mean, we didn't want to go the rest of the month of maybe without being like, hey, is there anything else after yeah after <laughs> besides last, Guardians when that kind of dies down a little after last week's Cody complaining about how how busy June is and how garbage July is, <laughs> which makes no sense at all. All those months look great. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, but May, yeah, it seems like May with Guardians has been able to kick off the summer season really well. At least I think this counts as like the summer season, I would say. So absolutely, yeah. And we're not gonna see without a resurgence of you know Marvel Phase One characters without seeing Iron Man back on screen, mm-hmm. without seeing Tobey Maguire as Spider Man back on screen. We're not That's gonna like see phase these negative two. Yeah, we're not gonna see these. <laughs> 200 200 plus million dollar openings that's that's the thing of the past yeah i think that's something that not only the industry but the public like needs to kind of recognize more is that because of the pandemic because of the changing of the guard when it comes to these franchise movies we're just not going to see the same leaps and bounds in terms of like openings or staying power within uh their playing time yeah and you just don't have the same amount of I mean, star power ensembles. You have to build those over a decade. Yeah, I mean, and we don't have those right now. Guardians literally did that yeah. for over a decade. Yeah, <laughs> it's the last. The first one was ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's been. It, you know, that time has passed. Not that it's not going to happen again, but mm-hmm. it's going to be. There's going to be a period of time unless we see these cross promotional things like we always joke about with Jurassic World and now um Mario and Fast and Furious crossing into the same universe <laughs> unless we see something <laughs> ridiculous and stupid and wonderful like that of course <laughs> we're not going to see the same the same kind of boom that we saw with the last 3 Avengers films right <laughs> it's yeah. just not going to happen but that being said a solid nine figure opening <laughs> yeah again like it's it made over a hundred million. Granted, it's not like the usual over one hundred and fifty million that we, we always seem to anticipate these past few years. But over a hundred million is still very good. Like, yeah, for any movie, that's a really good opening. No, and it's the biggest Guardians opening. Was that? Oh, that one is nice. It's, I mean, it's in the. I, I forget. It was close, but it fell a little bit below expectations. But they're all solid opening films. They're all going to play. A dozen weeks at most multiplexes. Yeah, people showed up. <laughs> that's all that matters. Yeah, that's all we need. But someone else did show up. Kyle showed up and saw this saw this film. And what'd you think, Kyle? It felt good to like these movies again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the best part was that it was a 
one uh, a franchise blockbuster that I had emotions in and I had feelings throughout the whole movie that just weren't uh, uh, feeling bland or dried out or bored the entire time. Like, oh no, gross, messy feelings. Yeah. Ew. Oh god, give me a break. But that's just the theme throughout all three of these Guardians movies is that they really stick the landing in terms of franchise movies that give you uh, a solid character work, that give you characters that you are emotionally invested in, that give you feelings with. It's not just the big uh, scene-setting stakes of the the franchise itself, but it's also the moments with the characters that you kind of rally around and that you enjoy. And with this one, it was no different from the first two movies to me in sticking the landing and doing that job. And I think... It just was a really fitting ending to these characters' journeys, but also just a really great um, camaraderie movie altogether for a franchise that has lasted a decade long. And also felt had like such a major personal emotional touch from James Gunn. I think he felt that the writing was on the wall on the wall, excuse me, that he wasn't gonna be coming back for these, so he went all out and threw as much into himself personally and things that he wanted to express into this movie, which really added to the characters uh, very well. So yeah, I think it's one of the more almost mature movies emotionally uh, that we've seen over the past few years, but it's a real relief to see people really coming out, loving that aspect of it. Yeah, no, I I wish (laughs) I think James Gunn after the reception, this has got us like, Come on, DC. Like, yeah. we've got to do this on the other side of the aisle now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the, the groom's family has it together. Like, they can <laughs> handle it, but we got to get the bride's family in shape now. In, in a way, yeah. Like, it it felt like everything that happened to him from getting fired from Marvel to switching over to DC to kind of... Maybe he had a perspective of seeing what was going on on his side of the world in terms of, like, the superhero world to where he's like, oh, we need to add more of what I do into like DC movies. Um, and it kind of felt like he was having little digs uh, in some moments towards Disney in that regard, or I was just looking too much into it. Cause I know this stuff a lot more, but I don't know. There was some of those moments where I was like, I think DC movies will be okay. I, I feel pretty good now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you can do that for a guardians movie for these many years, then yeah, whatever you do, I'm sure you'll do great at too. Yeah. And if, you know, if I remember right, the way this these kind of came in, like we went through the the major Thor's, Captain America's, like, and then we got into, I think it, it was Phase Three at that point, or whatever they called yeah, it. Yeah, two but or then, three. Something but then like it's Ant Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Ant Man didn't perform well, but Guardians was like a complete unknown. That was you're gonna take yes. Chris Pratt, who's frumpy mm-hmm. from Parks and Rec, and you're gonna make him a lead superhero. And you're going to take a former wrestler. Yeah. And uh, you're going to take Bradley Cooper and not show his face. Yeah. And Vin Diesel and not show his face. And Zoe Saldana, who was in her own sci-fi franchise of her own. Why is she coming into this thing? Yeah. She's going to be in all of them. Yeah. I mean, third, her third because oh, she has right. Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. I'm gl- I'm so- of course, we only thought of Avatar. No, Star Trek only made a billion dollars on its own, too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's very, it, it was very like touch and go, like, is this going to work? And oh yeah. Sure enough, it you know it's James Gunn was involved, so it it worked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely the case. Um, and it, and I I kind of missed that surprise of it all. Like that was 
one of like the biggest surprises throughout like all the MCU movies, but just like movies in general to where it just had such of a pop of like a zeitgeist pop in a way that we don't really get very often. I hope it kind of comes back. Um, but yeah, the, the, I mean, those movies are just really great. That's all that I'm really trying to explain. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like DC tries to do this with every one of their movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're like, we're going to make this one pop because he's going to be the anti-hero or he's not oh, going to yeah. be, he's not going to be, you know, fit the mold. And I'm like, no, you got to build the mold before you can break it. <laughs> like you have to actually build a series of films that function, that work, that create a universe. Mm-hmm. And then you can bring in the crazy, then you can bring in the literal suicide squad to mess things up. Yeah. That's, <laughs> they have all the pieces. They just, they're in the wrong order. They're all the wrong shapes. <laughs> One's one of those funky 3d puzzles from 1998. <laughs> no, you absolutely nailed it. Um, that's exactly what happened. They saw the successes of, avengers and then guardians that to where they're thinking oh we can do that we just need to do it quicker and like you were just saying you have to build you have to think about characters first you have to think about building trust uh within audiences and then you can get to you know those guardians levels where you're like oh yeah we'll just try this out and it works great we'll keep that going but just yeah every step it's it's so crazy that they nailed every step of of marvel through mm-hmm. through endgame at least as far as audiences go yeah it's like there were if there were hiccups it was ever so slight like it is not noticeable but it was like we're gonna do the superman superman or whatever it was man of steel yeah, yeah. and nail it mm-hmm. and then we're gonna put batman and superman together and, and then we'll do a Justice League, <laughs> but they're but they're kind of all over the place, yeah. and and there's no world building. Like there needs to be, there there needed to be a standalone Ben Affleck Batman movie, yeah, and there needed to be another Superman movie, and maybe do Aquaman before Justice League, yeah, rather than introduce <laughs> him in Batman versus Superman's movie, <laughs> yeah. I mean. Marvel didn't do any of that. It was like, we're going to give everybody their own shine, Mm -hmm. build their own individual audiences, and then throw them together. But we're going to do it over 19 films. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll intermix them them and we'll show them them out. I mean, it's a a trillion-dollar franchise when you go into all of the toys and merchandising and everything. Just an incredible amount of money that this thing has generated just because they – they took it slow and did it right every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And I hope that James Gunn can do this with DC because while superhero fatigue is real, and we'll see that with the drop-off of Guardians, maybe not week two, but week three, three and four, we're going to see a substantial drop. Oh, I'm sure. And yeah. Just not the like low 50% and then it kind of goes away. We're going to see a huge drop just because there's there's real superhero fatigue. Mm-hmm. And it's it, we need a new kind of superhero world being built it can be the same thing but there's going to have to be some marked differences between what what dc is going to be and what marvel was yeah because the, the good guy can't win every time the world can't get fixed every time mm, we can't uh, feel happy all the time yeah <laughs> make me feel sad a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah, no, yeah we have to lose someone and it can't be just uh just Don Cheadle's use of his legs. Like, we gotta, we gotta, someone has to die. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm for me, I'm not as I'm not in the mindset that like superhero fatigue is happening. I just think there is a fatigue with seeing the same thing coming out of the same 
brand, the same studio. So I'm really hoping that James Gunn can turn things around for DC and just make it feel like a different status quo, at least. Like, make it feel against the grain of what audiences have become used to for these, what, 10, almost 15 years? Holy crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 2000? Sorry, I had a mini panic attack there. Um, <laughs> it was like yeah. 2008, yeah. I think, was when Iron Man came out. That was like one of my first introductions to um, our side of the, the film industry was entering entering nightly grosses from theaters across the country where mm. they'd call in, leave leave messages, not voicemails. We didn't have voicemails at that point. It was actual <laughs> messages on an answering machine. And you'd enter them into, into a spreadsheet. And it was like... Iron Man. That was the first one of the first mm-hmm. things I did was put in Iron Man grosses <laughs> and you know, hear everybody like freak out about how great Iron Man was. And I'm like, it's a three digit number. It's always a three digit number. Yeah. <laughs> this one's eight hundred instead of two hundred. Why is this <laughs> exciting? Why is everybody so pumped about this? <laughs> and look at us now. <laughs> yeah. Now we're just throwing away hundred million dollar films. Like, right. Pashaw, move eh, on. Just another day. I know. <laughs> Speaking of just another day in oh. our industry, we love finding these articles that are very misinformed about <laughs> the theater exhibition industry, whether it's Variety or IndieWire or Vulture or whoever. These these pop up, and it's so aggravating when we deal with this every day, when you deal with this every day at your theater, and hear um, this newest one from IndieWire is about these massive theater chains crying poor about how expensive it is to run a theater. Yeah, so this newest article is from IndieWire, excuse me, and it's called Running a Movie Theater is More Expensive Than You Can Possibly Imagine. And If you're listening to this podcast, you know it is exactly as expensive as you can imagine. Yes, exactly. (laughs) This isn't for those who work in the industry. It's definitely for those outside of it who have no idea about the leaps and bounds and costs that it takes to run a theater, run your business. And what I did like, I'll give them a little bit of credit. What I did like within this article was that they were breaking down like each cost for each type of tech that it takes to run a screen. Mm -hmm. And I did appreciate that because I do think that shines a light into, it's not just necessarily turning on a projector and then it just appears like there's a Mm -hmm. lot more running parts to it. And they're, is a lot of money that gets attached to like each of those running parts. Hmm. Um, and, and the article does go on, like you said, to talk to theater chains, not necessarily independent theaters, where they were explaining, you know, all of the costs that it takes to run these things, the reasonings behind uh, why everything costs so much, whether it's because technology has gotten old and we haven't caught up with the times yet to like, make the new technology or just the costs themselves are just way too expensive, especially with the pandemic happening just a few years ago. They did a good job at adding the context to the scenarios that the theaters are facing right now. But um, Ken, I'll let you add on to your thoughts about like what may have been misinformed. Well, they use um, examples of AMC with 5,000 screens and uh, speak with Bowtie, uh, cinema mm-hmm. and I don't have a screen count for them, but it's a substantial. I amount think of it's screens. on here. I'll look it up for you. Substantial amount of screens, also, <clears throat> but they don't talk to uh, John Doe, who runs the uh, multiplex in Wichita Falls Springs. Right. 
Nebraska, in, in middle of nowheresville, who has who has Kentucky who has five screens. Yeah, and so yes, AMC has five thousand screens. It's an incredible amount of maintenance and upkeep and projection equipment and things like that. But that cost is shared across five hundred locations. So if you have one that does well with a film and another one that doesn't, it averages out. You have somewhere else to pull from. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a small business owner that owns a theater that has one screen, you have one film to pull yeah. income from. You have one income stream every two or three or four weeks, depending on what these requirements are. And you're paying way more terms than the guys at Bowtie and AMC are doing because of the new normal of... Um, streaming and profit sharing and those things that have have come up with the the change in windowing. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game for people outside of these massive chains. But that being said, it was a great article and it showed the breakdown for people who were interested about uh, media blocks and servers and bulbs and screens, um, and really went through a cost breakdown. It was um, a little. Um, dramatic as far as some of the costs that i saw but <laughs> some of the ranges on here were very wide well, they had this uh, media blocks which are very expensive mm-hmm. and the cheapest one we've seen is in this price range where it has of seven thousand dollars but it has up to a forty thousand dollar media block for the newest sony server or sony projection systems if you are putting the newest highest technology sony projection system in that auditorium that is an auditorium that is making you high six, low seven figures every year in ticket sales. <laughs> so putting a $40,000 media block is a drop in the bucket right? for that auditorium. Yeah. But if you're complaining about the cost of having to replace a $40,000 media block, you've already put one in. Mm-hmm. You know, you've already paid that cost once and knew what it cost. And you're like, oh, my God, I've got to replace <laughs> this. It's $40,000 again. <laughs> like, yeah, but there's one available for seven mm-hmm. that does the same job. <laughs> I just some of this was a little uh, little dramatic, but uh, I like how it did have the cost of uh, projectors, laser projectors and screens and things. And it was it was interesting what they what they included, um, which is. Which is great and all, but this is a. These are startup costs. These are maintenance figures that you have to put in. This doesn't include um, Joe, Jim, and Nancy that have to go in and clean, have to sell concessions, have to have healthcare, have to have all these things that are included in a business. I mean, how much electricity it costs to keep these projectors on, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it it did come across as just being able to find the nearest contacts available and those happen to be uh for IndieWire that probably is based in LA being able to talk to uh LA chain based owners I would mm-hmm. imagine. So that was just a bit disappointing because there is more to the theater industry than just these big chains. There are the mom and pop shops that we've ex- expressed many times on this podcast and the ones that you know we work with as you know film buyers. So it was just it was a bit of a bummer to not get their context of it because it only talks about the big business side of it all rather than talking about what about a small business owner's mindset and how they go about handling these um, these uh, prices. Yeah, no. What happens if you open a film? You've dedicated two weeks, 
you know, for an opening 14 days of your screen time, your advertising, your employee payroll, all these things, electricity, water bills, everything to this film. And then it doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> so now you're paying, you know, a, a percentage of no ticket sales back to the film company and covering all these costs on your own. You don't have nine other auditoriums that are playing third week of Mario, second week of <laughs> yeah. second week of guardians. There's no, there's no cover. There's no, there's no CYA on this. You're on your own. <laughs> you're on your own out there and you're hopeful that it works, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not, um, you know, they're sharing these, these costs. And there was a part in his, um, in Joe Masher's part of this article where he was talking about, it. they have two, two of their screens, uh, down permanently because of projection issues and i know of locations that have eight screens that have two screens down permanently mm-hmm. currently because of projection equipment issues yeah like yeah that's two screens out of a hundred hundreds that's not two screens out of eight <laughs> <That's> <laughs> out not, of the only eight 25 percent of your in your only building projection is down mm-hmm. it's it's like oh it's two percent of my projection is currently down what do we need to do to fix this oh i don't know make money with my other 98 screens <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's i think that context for the other side of like business aspects such as these would have been which would have helped the article uh give people a better understanding of what's going on within the industry because maybe maybe we're close to the vest on this but in the back of our minds we're thinking these thoughts that we're expressing here of oh but you have your backups <laughs> and yeah. you probably have first go at some of this tech when meanwhile these small businesses they're trying to reach out trying to get you know their their technology fixed so that way they can run eight screens rather than six and then the 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 production manufacturers are probably looking up where their town even is like they yeah. you know what i mean like they're oh there's oh, a can't... little bit more that goes into making the businesses work on a smaller scale compared to a big chain there just is there's no direct flights to wichita falls springs yeah. nebraska what leapfrogging <laughs> magic are we gonna have to pull off here yeah no they did uh or um, offer the uh, fact that some of these chains have their own in-house technicians, yep, which that's, that's which is true. a smart thing to do, which you probably have. I mean, they have their own, you know, small accounting firms that run these places mm-hmm. for payroll and film rental and all the things that go into it. They have to, of course. They, you have to, and that's part of it. But the idea that like, oh, some of them have this. Yes, all the chains have this, but single, single twin, three screen complexes, they have, they have a guy and hopefully the guy's available. Hopefully the guy's alive. Hopefully he hasn't broken a leg <laughs> or sold his business. Yeah. You know, hopefully he's still around because that's your only reprieve to getting a projector fixed. And if you've got to find a new guy, well, that guy already has a stable full of theaters that need help today. Yeah. And yeah. tomorrow and next week and next month. And things are better than they were during the pandemic, during 2020, 2021. They've gotten better. Like the supply chain issues with parts and chips and pieces has gotten better but by no means is it perfect yet it's gonna (laughs) and it's not going to be unless you know our industry is able to support a small army of technicians to go out and fix these (laughs) things yeah absolutely so uh the article is good if you want (coughs) to read it but it's those it's the lack of reaching out to small businesses who have to leap through more hoops as compared to these chains that they're interviewing that is kind of the frustrating part. 
And especially because we had an article that we talked about last week that did talk to small businesses and some chains at the same Reason, time. Reasonably small ones, like I mean, within, single, single screen theaters, but it's still that, something that you played know? art from. Hey, it was yeah, it was not an accurate representation of what single screens look like in the U.S. No, but it was a single screen theater. Yeah, by technicality, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't uh, AMC, <laughs> Bowtie, Cinemark, <laughs> Regal. It wasn't. Uh, a massive chain of theaters. No, no, that's exactly <laughs> the case. But at least it does showcase the huge amounts of money that go into this, that hopefully people can get a better perspective and be kinder to their, uh, to whatever theaters they go to and not complain about concession prices or this and that, whatever. Cause they're, every theater is doing their best. Yeah, no, this isn't a, uh, you know, you can't open a, a retail store with, these kind of costs that they show where it's, you know, over easily a hundred thousand dollars in equipment just to put a movie onto a screen. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, but we opened a restaurant. Well, you need a grill and a register (laughs) and you can start a restaurant. There you go. (laughs) It's not the same as these other retail places. There's all these behind the scenes costs that, that build in and it, hopefully it, it provides some respect for the job that, all these folks do out there trying to show these movies and keep the theaters open in these teeny tiny little towns all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that just about covers that topic and I think we're out of here. Wraps it up. Now we just got to be excited about Candace Bergen and book club this weekend. Woo. <laughs> book club, Is it book club? The next chapter or is it book club Two the next chapter. I think it's book club Two the next chapter. See, that's what I thought. And uh-huh. it's, it's confusing. It's like I always think the that Aliens is actually Aliens 2. Right. <laughs> but, but this one has both in it. This is <laughs> Aliens 2 I <laughs> instead mean, of Alien 2. It's both. It's now like, I'm starting to sweat a little because honestly, I, 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 I'm I not 100% sure. <laughs> you might have been tricked into this one. Yeah. I was so confident, but then you described like this Berenstein, Berenstein effect yeah. that's going on. Yeah. So now I'm worried that I was incorrect. But we all... <laughs> But uh, we all, we do have Hypnotic. I'm not sure if that one is a wide release. Is that one more it's, it's, limited? Well, they're they're taking as many locations as possibly will play a Robert Rodriguez vehicle starring Ben Affleck. Yeah, <laughs> they're taking they're taking all comers. Anybody who wants to play it can have it. That's that's kind of nice. Yeah, no, that's a change. Like, <laughs> and then uh, anyone can have it. Doesn't matter. Rally, awesome. Rally Road Racers from Viva Entertainment uh, who gave yeah. us Amazing Maurice in February. So mm-hmm. that comes out this weekend too. So hopefully those do a decent number um, with the uh, runway that they have of this weekend before Vin Diesel and Jason Momoa, you know, put their chest together on screen. <laughs> <laughs> There's about five of those scenes in the trailer, so <laughs> if you miss one of them, there will be four more. Good. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, but yeah, everyone, enjoy this weekend, and we'll be back here for Fast and Furious weekend, and just keep continuing the great start that we had with Guardians for the start of the summer. Yeah, get your shades and your leather jackets out, burn <laughs> some rubber, and we'll see you next week. Love it. Bye, right. everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Off the Break Podcast. Find us on all podcast platforms or at screeninsider.co. And be sure to like and follow our Facebook and Instagram pages at Off the Break Podcast.